awesome, everybody. Welcome to Gilder Spotlight. Uh, we have a special guest today. His name is Luke Ashenbrand, uh, and I'm super excited to give our listeners uh, a little background about Luke, learn more about his story, how he came from a student fleet, um, Division One, Princeton, now being an entrepreneur and stuff. Uh, we're going to dive a little bit deeper in that, but Luke, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your background. If you want to give kind of the audience what your background is, where you're from, um, what kind of inspired you to be where you're at today. Sure. So, hello, fellow listeners. My name is Luke. Um, worked at Tiger before my previous job. Now I moved to the entrepreneur side of the coin, working on a couple different companies. Um, I graduated from Princeton in May of last year. May of 2022, I was a football player there. I played center and guard, but didn't play in an official game, but I'm not going to be all butthurt about the fact that a concussion ruined my career. Uh, after I finished playing football, I was like, what do I actually want to do? And the first thing I thought of was, why don't I work with a bunch of investors and founders? Because my dad was an entrepreneur and I thought, why not go start a company one day? So I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what investors were looking at. I didn't know what founders were looking at. So I went and joined the most agnostic company I could think of and find and just talk to investors and founders all day. And being an extrovert, it ended up being the best possible learning experience because I got a wide variety of contexts that most people just don't get at this age. And I got to see the good, the bad, and the in-between from a lot of different perspectives. And now I'm doing my own thing. So I'm doing startup consulting as my day job and have a startup that I'm working on in the background. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for that, uh, Luke. And I kind of want to dig a little bit deeper in a couple things. Um, first, just tell me a little bit about your football career. I'm super, we have like fans, uh, of NFL here and fans of college football and, uh, people would be really interested in learning about kind of your background in high school, how, like what kind of offers were you getting as well? Why did your football career, if you can dive a little bit deeper into like, you said that there was some injuries, a concussion, um, dive into that and then. Um, we can get into how you kind of rebounded uh, back from that and kind of because another thing, a lot of athletes, I think, um, especially college, like college athletes, if they don't go pro, a lot of a lot of my buddies were football players, actually, and they, they had no idea what to do after they graduated. Um, and I know probably a lot of people out there would be interested in hearing your story. So, um, yeah, just if you can dive into sure. um, just starting from high school, yeah, I got you talking. working our way up and I'd love to um, love to. So- my football career actually started a lot later than most people. I started when I was 14. I grew up a basketball player, baseball player, and uh, not really focused on football because my mom wouldn't let me play until I got to high school. And then I went to Pinnacle High School in the Valley. Uh, freshman year of football was my first year of football. I started playing a tight end my first week of practice and then played defensive line. And then they were like, Luke, you should probably play offense. And I played it for my freshman year. I had no idea what I was doing because I didn't really watch football. I just knew my friends were playing. So I figured I'd try it out. Um, sophomore year of high school, I was on JV playing offense and defense. I actually didn't start on JV as a sophomore, ironically enough. Like I got beat out and then had to earn my spot. And the same thing happened junior year. So I was never like the guy at Pinnacle because we had such a deep roster. And then junior year, I kind of had a big game against one of the best teams in the country. And that's when they moved me to play defensive tackle full time because that's what I was naturally best at, just running through people instead of being more strategic. And then, um, Going after my junior year, I kind of had a great end to my junior year. First time really playing a consistent spot was playing nose tackle. I uh, started to get recruited to play nose tackle. And then February of 2017 was my first offer. I got an offer from Brown. 
Um, I don't know how I got an offer from Brown at the time I had a three, one GPA and a 29 on my ACT. <laughs> like I didn't think I had the grace to go to an Ivy league school, but then it became more realistic as I saw Brown offer me. Um, mm-hmm. my recruiting got really intense going into the end of my junior year. That's when things started to pick up. I got a lot of FCS interest because I wasn't the fastest. I went to this camp called the opening, which is a big time mm-hmm. Nike football camp. And, um, I went up against some now NFL offensive linemen as a defensive tackle and got ragdolled. So my take didn't look great on a national scale, um, but that's okay. Like I, I learned a lot about the recruiting process and had a chance to really compete on a national level and then thought more specifically about best fits. As a kid, my dream was to go to Harvard, Princeton, or Stanford. Stanford mm-hmm. was the real dream. It was free. It was in Palo Alto. San Francisco is my favorite city. And unfortunately, I wasn't good enough at football to get an offer from them. But I ended up visiting Princeton, and I fell in love with the campus the second I, the second I got there. And um, mm-hmm. the coaching staff treated me really well when I was a recruit. They, they told me if you get your ACT score up to a 30 and your GPA up to like a 3-3 unweighted. Weighted, it was a 4-2, but unweighted, mm-hmm. it was a 3-3, and they only looked at unweighted then I would have an offer to go to the school. So I ended up going to camp, ran really well, lifted really well. They threw me in the offensive line, which I just had not trained because I was playing defense only and getting looked at to play D tackle. And then I got thrown into the fire and um, ended up doing pretty well at camp and got my grades up. My first four games, my senior year tape looked actually kind of nuts. If you want to watch high school glory tape, I was playing both sides of the ball. Like I was just we a will, menace on a football field. We will connect and, um, that uh, in a link in the description for users to, to take a look. I don't want to put my high school tape out there. It's just my phone number's out there. It's kind of a... Okay. We can. It's not on YouTube it's, or anything We can, like but like... Okay. It's on Huddle. It's on Huddle. Okay. But um, it was my first four games senior year led to me getting a lot more interest in offers from FBS schools. Um, I didn't post them because I committed to Princeton. And when I committed to Princeton, I was just good. Like, that was that. So... Mm-hmm. Got to college, freshman year of college. I was my first time playing offensive line. I had a big just, adjustment uh, curve because I kind of got told. Take a step back too. Um, are you you're originally from New Jersey as well, right? Or New York? New York excuse no. me, New York. New York. Uh uh-uh. No, actually, I was born in New York, but I've lived out in Arizona my whole life. I'm from Scottsdale. Okay, okay, got it. Got. It. I was just thinking like um, going to Princeton, kind of a little bit in your backyard, but uh, that makes a little more sense that you are. You know, grew up in Scottsdale. Yeah, um, that's why I'm back here, Tiger. Got, um, got it. Can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can. I can tell you. Can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yep. Yep. Sorry. Can you hear on your uh, freshman year? Sorry about that. Sure. So freshman year um, was just getting used to playing offense, and then I dislocated my shoulder in a team scrimmage, so I missed six and seven weeks of my freshman year, which put me behind the development curve. That freshman mm-hmm. off season, I mean, that freshman season, I ended up trying playing another position for one week, tried playing fullback for literally two practices and it was fun, but I was not a fullback. Um, so mm-hmm. I had to put on a lot of weight cause I lost so much after getting hurt. I put the weight back on, um, sophomore year, I came into camp two, uh, second string player and I got beat out by a freshman. That freshman is, uh, now starting at Princeton still. He's a center, fantastic football wow. player, just was a better player than me at the time came into college well-prepared, even though he was like 245 pounds at the time. He was like, a, mm-hmm. came into college, a great player. And um, I had a big, big learning curve in terms of handling not winning for the first time in like four mm-hmm. years in a, an athletic event. Like I got benched in high school um, mm-hmm. to start seasons. So, I mean, I was kind of used to it, but at the collegiate level, getting beat out by a freshman felt a little bit different, but I ended up working my way back off the scout team that year. 
I never played in the game, but I was in the rotation ready to play, mm-hmm. which felt pretty good. And the learning curve kind of came right back to normal. I had a big personal adjustment then too. Um, mm-hmm. I let my ego lead with a lot of my activities as a man when I was 19 mm-hmm. years old. And that transition a lot really of switched after. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, it, yeah. it just comes and goes, you know? Mm-hmm. But just kind of after your uh, dis- shoulder dislocation, the first one started, kind of the that switch kind of happened after all those kind of chain events, essentially. Yeah, I mean, I, it took me until after that season to realize, like, you can't really be leading with your ego when you talk to people and yeah. just kind of keep it real with how things are. And that big mm-hmm. adjustment process was the uh, hardest thing to learn. Do you think that in just like being a D1 athlete and being with like a bunch of IOB league people, um, do you think that it's like hyper competitive, like all the time? And with that, you kind of need an ego in order to stand out and like get into that? I wouldn't say so because a lot of my teammates never led with ego. It was Mm -hmm. more my way of coping with the fact that I wasn't good enough at football was to lead with ego Mm -hmm. most conversations but that was a personal curve i had to make that wasn't a, mm-hmm. a like a is it because you started so late like at, at four, you go. right right is it because you started so late at 14 compared to like a lot of probably they're playing you know from like the time they're in like the third or fourth grade or maybe fifth grade i think is when folks start playing football i mean i could say that i could blame the fact that i started later than everybody but i don't think that's the mm-hmm. real reason i just had a big learning curve, not because of the difference in time played in the game, but because mm-hmm. it's just a totally different process than playing defense. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready for it when I came into college right, and right. I got that development period hindered. So the adjustment process took longer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. Well, and uh, did you end up playing the next season after that? No, actually. So after okay. sophomore year, it was COVID. It was mm-hmm. COVID, so our Ivy League got, got canceled it. for my junior year. Mm-hmm. But that's when I first got the startup bug, actually, was when I was 20. Okay. So, okay. so yeah, um, love to hear a little bit more about what's, what kind of ignited that startup bug during the pandemic. Uh, and then also, what, what was D1 sports like? Like, what did people, what were precautions like, I guess, during the pandemic, too? That's, that's kind of... Well, there's two ways to approach that question. Yeah. Do, do you want to hear more about the startup or do you want to hear more about the process of being startup. a D1 athlete when not playing a D1 sport? Let's hear, let's hear okay. about the startup. Um, sure. So I, t- I was an entrepreneurship minor in, at Princeton. I took one mm-hmm. class going into COVID, really enjoyed it. And I figured, why not take some more classes? And one of the classes I had was where you literally got a chance to develop a company idea. So it was me and a group of three other people in this class. Um, we had this idea because we had a problem on campus. We, spin, we pinpointed right away. And mm-hmm. it was the fact that all food around Princeton's campus outside of a two and a half mile radius closed at 9 p.m. So nobody was able to get food from anywhere besides the campus center. So I was like, all right, why don't we just build an, out an algorithm that can conglomerate a lot of people's orders and then drop them off at the campus center because we all need better food than this. And um, we called it Vega. We got it funded by the incubator at Princeton. Wow. It was called the eLab Incubator, which gave us enough room to test the idea. And mm-hmm. I got an A in the class. So 
I mean, it ended up working out fine. It was like an extension of a three year long project called Tiger Challenge, which mm-hmm. was an internship I took going into my sophomore summer. And pretty much they told us, hey, research the Mercer County food system, go talk to a bunch of farmers and figure out how you can create a solution for food so farmers make more money. Because mm-hmm. the main problem was Mercer County farmers only made 12 cents for every dollar sold. And then mm-hmm. in 2019 and 2020, especially as COVID happened, um, mm-hmm. the Tiger Challenge decided to pivot a project because more farms were closing faster mm-hmm. than ever before because of the pandemic. Like there's no place to sell it. So mm-hmm. they pivoted the project to be anything food related. And then we started building up Vega. We pitched it mm-hmm. a few different times, won a couple of pitch deck competitions. And inevitably we had to like, we, we went into some testing and the testing went really well, but end mm-hmm. the project because we realized like it wasn't a big enough market. And that was a tough, tough pill to swallow, but it was good timing because college football picked right back up as the project ended. Interesting. So that was kind of like your main focus um, when it's kind of peak pandemic, getting this on-demand food service business up and running on, at the same time as kind of like a, you're getting credit for your entrepreneurial mind. Is a minor, you said, or you got an entrepreneurial credit? You're saying? Yeah, it was a minor. Okay. Yeah, it was a minor. Very cool. And then are, did you end up doing anything with the business after? Or, I mean, I know like season picked up, you probably got, had to focus um, on season once it, once it started still there yeah can you hear me mm-hmm. um did you uh i guess did you pick up vega after call i mean did you end up doing anything with it i gave the rights of the data we collected from testing to a non-profit organization out here so it ended up going for a good cause but it wasn't it wasn't like all of us mutually agreed it wasn't a project worth continuing because mm-hmm we didn't have the correct opportunity lined up and it would have required a pivot and a little bit more traction on some other ends that I just didn't, mm-hmm. none of us felt like was the right idea. So it was interesting. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a great first opportunity. We made the LLC, unfortunately quickly dissolved it, but right. you know, got a little tricky. One of the co-founders left and we decided not to continue with the project. Got it. Got it. And then this was kind of now it's going into your junior year after this point or your senior year? So this was the project, that project started in August of 2020 and then it ended in February of 2021. It was a six month long project. Got it. Got it. And then you started the season. I mean, your next season football backup. Yeah. Football backup. Yeah. Um, Okay. So yeah, exactly. Basically after you kind of got your entrepreneurial bug, you had to switch back to being a D one athlete. Um, I was, I guess, how was that tra- transition like? Cause I feel like when you're a D1 athlete, you pretty much have to spend, I don't know, what, 90% of the time training, um, lifting, dieting, making sure that you're, you're on point for every single game, every single training practice. I'm sure there's not much time to keep that entrepreneurial bug going. Also, you're still there. Well, I mean, with academics, fortunately, it supported my curiosity to Princeton, but um, mm-hmm. the transition back to football was harder than any other semester I went through at school because I was not allowed to go. We weren't allowed to have more than two people in a room uh, at a time because on campus, mm-hmm. it was like a prison. I didn't have a, I had like a window in my room, but we had no AC and no heater. The bathroom was four mm-hmm. floors up. Our building didn't have a laundry machine. And the only mm-hmm. time we were allowed to leave our room outside of lifting was a, uh, 15 minute walk, which was barely enough time to go to Wawa, which 
for all the Jersey people out there, I miss Wawa every single day. Every single day. <laughs> Love their Italian sandwiches. But wow. um, it was it was a tough transition because there was no mm-hmm. freedom. There was no social life. It was you sat mm-hmm. in the classroom on your computer doing Zoom all day. Uh, then you would go to Lyft. And they would mm-hmm. have like these carts. They had these like food trucks and carts outside of every building on campus. And you weren't mm-hmm. able to go get food elsewhere unless it was within your walk per day. So mm-hmm. we had to eat. And it was not good food. Let's just put it out there. Like normally the dining halls at Princeton mm-hmm. were very good. But right. that food truck had the nastiest tasting rice you've ever eaten. So I lost 30 pounds like, like that. And as an old lineman, yeah. you can't be 260 pounds. So right. it, was a, it was a very difficult semester. Yeah, it's, it sounds like like a lot of things that you had to juggle kind of going back with kind of the pandem- pandemic kind of rules. Everything's on Zoom, only focusing on practice, only focusing on school. Um, and then after that season, because I'm assuming it probably was, were things open during that next season? Like, were, were people able to attend games and all that? Yeah, so life picked up back to normal. Uh, for everyone else after senior year, but are going into senior year, but not for me. Got it. Um, Got it. So training camp happened. Um, mm-hmm. I had turned out a private equity firm that summer, just trained six, seven days a week because I had a lot of muscle mass to put back on. Right. I came into camp with some really nasty shin splints from a jet skiing accident, but ended up doing all right in camp. I was playing really, really good football. Uh, mm-hmm. Week one came. We were playing against Lehigh at Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. I didn't make the bus. I was the first person off the bus out of a nine-person limit. And then that mm-hmm. second week, uh, my head coach, Coach Trace, told me, Luke, you're going to be playing a lot this game. We're going to help you with. They knew I didn't want to stay at Princeton. I wanted to graduate on time. So the coaching staff mm-hmm. told me that I could play a lot of minutes in that game against Stetson, which we ended up winning 63 to nothing. But I was not mm-hmm. conscious for it because of a concussion. And that concussion kind of switched me out of the football phase. Like, I was unconscious for a month. I don't remember a dang thing about that month. Like, I had people dropping my food to my door. I was in a pitch yeah. black room for 15 days. Like life, life was gone like that. Okay. So what did, how do you recover from that? Cause that sounds just like, uh, it sounds intense. I mean, honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm never, I mean, I, I just did Taekwondo growing up in martial arts. Um, so I've never been hit in the head hard to get contest. How were you able to recover from that and transition from football into, you know, your career? Well, I mean, I could have still played football after too. Like the concussion yeah. happened. I kind of, I was able to be coherent in a seven week period. It took me four of not being in a class, of laying in a room, mm-hmm. not remembering a thing. I remember it was like the Tuesday before Stetson game. You know that, uh, the funniest part about this is, you know that mm-hmm. song by Earth, Wind and Fire that goes like, do you remember the 21st yeah. of September? That one? Yeah. Yeah. That was the day the concussion happened. So no, I don't remember September 21st. So that's- that's literally just in a, yeah, it's, it's coming up here. Actually, that's going to be around the time of releasing this episode. <laughs> what, what are the two odds? Yeah. yeah, two years. So it took you, yeah. you said seven weeks to start being cognizant again. And there's a period where you're in a dark room for two weeks straight, just kind of recovering. Was that kind of, I mean, it sounds almost, I know that you're, I mean, concussions and sound. sounds like you're, it's almost meditative in a sense. Um, and that's another thing that I want to talk to you about. Did you start getting more into Buddhist philosophy and meditation from that experience to recover from, you know, that's a pretty traumatic injury is like that, that insane concussion. Like, 
did you start diving into that? Or, I mean, that's like you know, two weeks in a dark room. That's like pretty much your, you know, meditation retreat, you know? No, I, I learned about meditation practices and Buddhism just from my mom. My mom is a okay. Buddhist and being around that my entire life, she has like a big Buddha in the loft of my parents' house. And I always grew up around a Buddha and she, you know, taught me a lot about Buddhist principles, which was what I wrote my thesis on was like the Buddhist version of patience. So that was my conclusion within the big. So every Princeton graduate has to have a thesis. Mine was like a 10,000 word manuscript on what patience is as a concept and how it's limits and how to apply it. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I learned about meditation at a very young age. Like my mom was teaching me how to meditate for quite some time and mm -hmm. kind of took inspiration about when I seen your thesis at school, but that was not something I learned through that concussion period. Okay. Okay. Um, did meditation help you with just in general? I mean, obviously academics, it, it can help with a lot of different things, but how did meditation kind of, um, help and benefit your life? Um, especially starting at such a young age, I know a lot of people dive into meditation as they, as they get into college or as they get older, um, having, you know, your mom, was it any type of meditation, like transcendental meditation, or, uh, was it just normal meditation in, in Buddhism that your, your family was into and involved in? My mom taught me that it's individualized. Everybody has their own process to mining their, their roadmap. And I mean, there are a couple of protective prayers that I utilized that my mom taught me, but Every person goes through their own meditative process. Like you can practice breathing techniques and use different meditation techniques to help you train your certain period of thought and help you reach a spiritual level. But for me, it's always been like, I sit down, I let my thoughts wander as fast and as far as they go. I gain a lot of insights from the experience. And as soon as my mind is quiet, then I'm able to start protecting myself. And I view, I'm very, very, very strong in terms of like understanding people's energies now. Because I'm, mm -hmm. I'm normally, I'm just an empath, but like understanding my own energy took the most time through meditation. And that process is not something most people actually are conscious or aware of. For when, when the concussion mm -hmm. happened, I kind of lost that, that stream of consciousness for some time. And mm -hmm. I've, I've reached utilizing meditation as a way to, you know, streamline your thought process and become a lot more clarified with how your energy exists. But mm -hmm. it wasn't something I fully processed until I got out of school and then after the last job ended that I reinforced into my cognizant process every day. Mm -hmm. Did you, so essentially once kind of your career picked up, did you kind of take meditation on a pause? Cause it was just, life was just moving really quickly. Um, and you just started meditation again after, um, you know, this may essentially, or. Well, that's a whole nother story we'll get to, yeah. but, uh, um, yeah, yeah. I kind of took meditation a lot more seriously. Um, and mm -hmm. I probably, yeah, I'd probably say in like late May, early June is when I started to. For me personally, yeah. like I, I kind of have it in spurts where I meditate for maybe every single day for five, 10 minutes, um, for like three weeks straight. And then I go like months where I just don't meditate at all. And then I get back into it. Um, kind of like in waves and spurts, it just depends on hmm. the snows and things like that. Um, but another thing I wanted to ask. So what was the well, difference? Oh. The difference. Oh, so, gonna, so what was the difference for me? Like when I'm, when I'm meditating and when I'm not, I, so right now I'm actually, I should be meditating more. I've been, it's been incredibly busy this summer. Um, I'm actually going to probably start getting back into meditation, getting back into a workout routine. But when I find I'm in a normal workout routine, I'm meditating every single day. I'm implementing that into my routine because 
a good way that I look at meditation, um, and what I've heard before, this isn't an original quote that you're saying, but it's like putting, it's like taking a cup, putting dirt in that cup, mixing that cup up. There's all these dirt particles in that cup. All those things are thoughts that you're thinking of. And when you meditate for five minutes, 10 minutes, all that dirt flows to the bottom of the cup. And instantly you can think clearly. You have that clarity um, to focus more on one thing. Uh, and so, yeah, when I'm meditating consistently, I think I can focus um, more. I can get I'm more productive. Um, and I generally feel a lot better. Um, when I'm not meditating, I actually tend to feel more anxious. I tend to get more into my head about different things that shouldn't matter as much. Um, but yeah, how about you? Well, I think, you know, the answer to what's going to help you be more productive, you kind of just did it while you do it. Right. Right. But, but um, actually another thing that, it's uh, not something I wanted... you... right. Go on. You, wait, what you are you saying? It's not something. Wait, Charlie. Oh, I was going to say there's like a massive difference in how you function and exist when you can understand where your spirit is at, where your energy flows. Because mm-hmm. for me, I tend to be an anxious person. Mental health is something that is very serious. I've went a lot of mental health struggles throughout my life, but the one thing that's helped me regulate it is becoming more consistent with meditating. And Mm -hmm. I utilize it every single day. Like if I don't leave the house, if I don't meditate before I leave the house, I feel like something's wrong. I also Mm -hmm. have this one habit that I've built up now. That's probably the best habit I picked up. I picked it up right at the end of July and I've seen my life start to progress in a lot of different ways because of this habit. But every day I wake up and I plant my, I, I pour water into my plants. So like I water my plants is the first thing I do every day. So you know how you mentioned like the cup of dirt? Right, right, right. Like I water my plants. Same, right. same concept. Just builds. You're making, you're making sure that the plants aren't overflows with water though, right? No, I'm just kidding. You're not drowning the plants. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. No, um, I'm not drowning the plants. No, no. But that's, that's super meditative. I definitely think that, yeah. And there's actually a lot of things in Buddhist philosophy that's really going through, Adversity, growing through that adversity, like has to, you know, literally, in order to grow, they have to go through shit. Um, so, kind of like in reality, like I think in order for a lot of people who have to like, go through adversity, they have to go through a lot of hoops and trials and tribulations, so to speak, in order to really succeed. Um, it sounds like you have. Um, one question though, so you grew up in Arizona. Uh, I grew up in Montana. I'd say Montana is pretty religious. I was just playing basketball the other day. Um, and these kids just came up to me. And they're like, can I tell you about Jesus? And I'm like, oh, I'm assuming that Arizona is also pretty religious. But what? how did your family get involved into more Eastern practices like Buddhist philosophy, uh, meditation? Because it seems like it's carried you a long way. Because... Uh, your major was philosophy, right? In college. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I ended up studying a lot about religion because I had no idea how to identify faith in mm-hmm. my own life. But so I, I ended up studying it a lot. And the thing that I took away the most is no matter what ideology you choose to exist under at the end of the day, it's still you and your relationship with a higher power. And I didn't feel like mm-hmm. any entity or ideological structure fully encapsulated how I felt about the universe itself or whatever you want to call the place that we live in or whatever you want to call the higher power you live in. That's not for me to choose. Mm -hmm. I'm not here to make a statement on it. I just chose to utilize my own principles and connect it with whatever that higher power is and not question it. Uh, My mom kind of figured this out in like the nineties and Mm -hmm. 
ended up becoming really spiritual. She always has been a manifester and somebody who thought well ahead of her time. She was always able mm -hmm. to see things in a different light. And she wrote a book actually called Jackpot Junkie. So if you guys want to read that book, I mentioned it a little bit. Definitely. It's a fantastic read. My mom is a writer. So if you guys want to read Jackpot Junkie, well, fantastic. We'll book. link it definitely in the bottom. Um, well, absolutely. So yeah, yeah, we'll link it in the um, about. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. But yeah, um, and and actually, kind of just to piggyback off of that, what did what do your parents do? Just it seems like they raised an amazing person um, from D one athlete, wanting going to Ivy League, now working on startup all before the age of twenty five. Um, it's no small feat. So, um, just curious, what do your parents do? So my mom has designed houses before. No, no, no. Um, my mom has designed houses. She's an author um, and a psychic, not a professionally licensed psychic, but she has extremely intuitive powers for her friends and loved ones. Um, mm -hmm. My dad was an entrepreneur, so that's why I get the entrepreneurial bug from. God. Always told me to, to do whatever your heart desired and um, never told me to limit yourself mentally. So I've always mm -hmm. believed that I was capable of doing anything I wanted to do. And... Now that I'm living my own life, I very clearly see that it's possible to do whatever you want. It's your world. It's your reality. You just have to choose how you want to live it. I couldn't agree more. Um, well, a couple things that we have about 10, 15 minutes left. Uh, a couple things that I want to dive into as well is just going back into Princeton. You're in the middle of being a D1 athlete. There's a lot of athletes out there in college right now that have no idea what they want to do, how to get started into entrepreneurship, how to get started in a business, how to get started in a career. What would you tell them uh, from your experience? Any advice? Uh, anything? Like sure. Yeah. The most important thing to do before you try to move forward is heal from your past. I did that for an extended amount of months in between when I started my first job out of school and when I was finishing up my senior year, it was taking the time to heal and understand why I enjoy doing things and who I truly am. Because without that, I would have no perspective on how to move forward. There's no way to reflect to really know who you truly are outside of one thing you've always applied yourself to your entire life. And without that, it's difficult to find your sense of identity itself. And many mm -hmm. athletes struggle with this. I still coach a lot of my friends up on how to find their groove outside of school. Like there's a lot of different things that you can do a lot of things to be curious mm -hmm. about you just never thought about or considered until you heal but after you heal it's just a matter of thinking about what steps you took when you were an athlete to find that you loved it so for me i was always curious i just stepped up and i did things in the real world it wasn't that much different i just stepped up to the plate and tried new things and whatever worked i kept doing and whatever didn't work i changed and that's how i've always adapted and iterated to learn new skills um for other athletes out there they naturally you naturally have like a very blessed and disciplined skill set because you were able to succeed at a sport. If you're looking to get into the real world and do different things with your career, find out what you love or find out what you're good at and then just continue to do it over and over and over again. And then be curious about learning new things. Like for example, as a football player, the same techniques don't always work. You have to learn new techniques in order to be good at your thing. For me as an offensive lineman, I had, had to have different hand techniques, different placements, different points of leverage. And we had to understand different play calls, concepts and utilize different skills. Same thing for all sports. It's a different game for every person. So you have to learn how to play the game and obtain skills in order to create value for yourself. If you're great at investing, fantastic. Then know what makes a winner. 
you know what makes a winner if you're an athlete. You were a winner. You were ending up playing at a much higher level than most of the population. Now, just think about what actual quality and skill sets transfer over. If you end up becoming really good at sales, figure out why you're good at sales. What is the thing that gets most people to say yes? Is it your persona? Is it your appearance? If you end up wanting to get into code, what makes really good code? How do you learn the syntax behind developing a product? These are all questions that you ask and don't go down the logical framework after you understand what you truly love doing or are really, really good at. Because you just get better and better at the things that you're good at or that you really love. There's no in between. I don't think that could have been any <laughs> better said. Um, another thing, how did you find your passion just into what you're talking into now, and you don't necessarily what say like what how you're is this still startup? How did you find your passion personally? Well, I mean, I'll tell you about the startup consulting because I've been working with a lot of different startups or having conversations about how I could help. Some of them have worked, some of them haven't. But the process of me loving startups kind of came from just being around the startup ecosystem when I was in college and seeing what Princeton entrepreneurs were doing which most people don't have that framework or perspective. And that love mm -hmm. for entrepreneurship kind of expanded on this trip called Silicon Valley Tiger Truck. So when I was picking between playing football in grad school, I had a walk-on offer to U of A. Um, Coach Carroll was recruiting me, very nice guy. My, my One of my best friends, if not my best friend, was playing there at the time. And I was thinking, hey, maybe I could go play more football given I have three years of eligibility left. Like freshman year didn't count, mm -hmm. um, junior year didn't count, and senior year didn't count. Um, so when I was picking between that and startups, I had a conversation with a couple of different VCs that I'm going to leave anonymous because I swore that I wouldn't tell the exact names. But let's just say that they're working mm -hmm. at some 10-figure fonts. Um, I had no idea about what the startup world was like, besides like me just trying to build one myself. So I ended up mm -hmm. getting a chance to learn about how other people view business outside of just a corporate lens because I had done some mm -hmm. you know, work in the middle market before, and I got a very standard understanding of operational efficiency and M&A acquisitions because I worked on one. Mm -hmm. And that was my context mm -hmm. of what the real world was. And then I had conversations with VC about how people connect and how people solve problems and what it takes to do something on your own or what it requires every single day for you to truly get to an end goal. And those in that framework, it actually came the day before my 22nd birthday on like how mm -hmm. different entrepreneurs and investors view the world. And I was lucky. I was one of 20 kids picked out of 320 different applicants for SVTT. Like most people don't get the perspective to be curious and pivot mm -hmm. their entire life's focus like I did. But on my 22nd birthday, and that was when I started eyesight, by the way, because I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to mm -hmm. share exactly what I learned mm -hmm. and like, mm -hmm. you know, cover what the eye can't see because most people don't have a perspective like I do. Um, 22nd birthday, yeah. I said goodbye football, hello startups and just yeah. found it. That was that. It seems like that's kind of the perfect timing since it's like transitioning literally into kind of your final year at Princeton. And yeah, I'm just curious. So. That's how you started eyesight was kind of being passionate about startups, being passionate about entrepreneurship, being, you know, one of 20 selected out of over 300 applicants um, for that. What was that thing? What was it called again? The, As, it's called Silicon Valley Tiger Truck. Uh, Silicon Valley that, that yeah, changed my life. Yeah. Um, so why did you start um, blogging on eyesight and what did you call it eyesight? I'm just curious. Um, so I called it eyesight cause I wanted to cover what the eye can't see. I haven't been mm -hmm. as actively blogging because my time has been more focused on building, but when I can publicly share, I'm publicly sharing via, via eyesight and bringing the blog back to full activity. It's been about, what is it? Eight months now since I actively mm -hmm. wrote, there's been a lot of transitions over this year that I didn't feel comfortable sharing. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've been holding it, but when 
I'm ready to start publicly sharing things again. It's coming from my side and I'm beyond excited to get back to writing. I've got, I've written like 16 or 17 different episodes that I just said, I'm not, I'm not ready to comfortably share what I'm mm -hmm. doing, but with startup consulting, cool. I guess I could share that now on this podcast. No, absolutely. Um, and yeah. we can also put your startup consulting, your website, uh, link in the bio or link in the description as well. Um, but I'm just looking at the episode names, like perspective, optimism versus pessimism, daydreaming and decision. Um, the power of dopamine. What's next? It seems as if like, this is like, it, it, are they all connected? I haven't read through all of them, but I'm assuming that is there some type of storyline with it or some type of pattern? Um, I know that they're all individual blogs and everything, but I do love the names and yeah, I've just never seen anything um, blog kind of like this. Thank you. Yeah. Um, the blog was more of a stream of consciousness of just mm -hmm. like, here's what I experienced throughout the week. Here's what I would like somebody to take away, given the experience <laughs> I just had and breaking it down step by step. So anybody can walk away with a new perspective. That was the mm -hmm. thought process behind eyesight. And mm -hmm. it's something I, I want to more actively do when I'm available to publicly share. I still have so mm -hmm. many drafts that I could have just posted over the last eight months. Right. It's not like I stopped writing. In fact, I write even more actively than I did when I was doing eyesight because I journal every day. But mm -hmm. I'm just waiting to publicly share a lot of the stuff that I've been doing and learning because I don't feel like my perspective is ready for other people to truly understand yet. Got it. How long have you been journaling? Every single day. Um, I am on a 56-day streak as of okay, September wow. 13th. So 56 days in a row. Wow. Amazing. And um, what? And did you journal before those 56 days too? I'm assuming like you, you can go on spurts like meditation, like there's periods where you, or did you just start journaling 56 days ago? No. So I, in college, I journaled when I had my feelings to get out and it was more of mm -hmm. like, you know, like a love saga instead of it being productive. So oh, okay. now yeah. I have a hybrid of both, but yeah, I have like a love journal in college and, um, hey. that is now no longer in my possession. <laughs> so one of the, someone took it. So one of the homies, one of the, it is one of the ex-girlfriends. No, Rolled they don't know about that one. I kind of no. just, no, that was the first time. It's it's hidden in a space where I hidden. don't want people to see it. So I'm yeah, not going to yeah. share where it is, but I think yeah, I don't have uh, any possession anymore on purpose. I think journaling, there's like a lot of, I, mean, I think it's super powerful. Um, there's a lot of benefits to, to journal. I personally want to start journaling a little bit more. Um, I know a lot of people that do journal. Some people journal that dreams I, they can actually some kind of lucid dreams uh, which is pretty cool um but what made you get into to uh, journaling i guess originally was it just to to kind of put your thoughts into a place um and then you can read through them um that's pretty much that's the reason I'm journaling very cool that was at first why i started journaling mm -hmm. yeah um fantastic well, other than that, uh, I like to keep these typically in 40, 45 minutes. Uh, Luke, I'd love to kind of highlight um, a couple things that you'd like to highlight about yourself. Um, and if you'd like to give kind of our listeners what you're working on. Um, actually, another question that, that I'm just curious as well, because I feel a lot of D1 athletes think differently than just a normal person like me, for example. 
especially Ivy Leaguers, what is your morning routine? That's one thing I actually really wanted to quickly ask you um, and understand uh, just because I'm just interested in what was your morning routine and what do you recommend to people? Because there's quite a bit of people out there that can't get their sleep patterns in check. And I feel like you're a person that you're, I mean, you're super on it. Working with you, I feel like you're a type of person and you get, you get things done. So yeah, if you can tell us your morning routine and any word of advice for people that need to get in the can get into something that I can't sleep, need that type of extra motivation. Well, that's a really good question. Um, well, the first thing you got to know is what gets you up in the morning. For me now, it's just watering my plants. As I mentioned earlier, like I get up in the morning, it's like, great. I go water my plants and have a good day. Um, I take a quick shower. I've been getting into the cold shower routine. On and off. It's like when I'm feeling really, really tired, then I go take a cold shower. But when I'm on eight hours of sleep and wide awake the second I wake up, um, I've been waking up like this morning, I woke up at five in the morning. It's now what, 2.20? So like I've been up for a while, but that was just because I had to make a drive over here. Um, normally I'm waking up at uh, 5.20 or 5.30. Um, but that, that's me. I'm a morning person. Like most people aren't morning people. Like mm-hmm. everybody's got their own schedule and routine and their sleep patterns are different. Like you have to optimize for your own natural sleep patterns. And for me, I'm an early to bed, early to rise kind of guy. That's not, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's kind of morning routine. Um, it depends on the night. I mean, like last mm-hmm. night I was up at a dinner until like nine thirty, ten 10 o'clock. And then I had to go home, um, finish up a little bit of back end work for the stuff mode startup, um, shower journal. And then I went to sleep at like 1145. So I'm not on much sleep right the second, but, mm-hmm. um, that was just contextual. Normally it's like 10 o'clock, 10 30. Yeah. But so you try to get um, eight hours. Like if I get six and a half, I'm good. Six and a half. Wow. Yeah. I try to get eight six hours. And a half. I, I have an order ring that, that tracks my sleep. Um, it says my internal clock is like between like 1230 and 830. Um, but I, I personally, I try to wake up around 6 a.m., 630. Um, but, uh, do you do any type of training in the morning or do you try to do that in the afternoon? It depends on the day. Like, for mm-hmm. example, right now with a hybrid of startup consulting and my startup, I'm doing a lot of calls in the morning. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just waking up and hopping on the phone. With mm-hmm. the work I'm normally doing, I, I choose to work out in the afternoon. But if I have the time in the morning, because I'm just a morning person, I like to get up and go, then mm-hmm. I typically go work out in the morning. But I don't have that luxury as of right now. So it's like right after work, I'll just go right to the gym, um, get a really healthy meal. And back to the morning mm-hmm. routine thing, you got to know your own sleep schedule. You need five mm-hmm. to six hours of REM sleep or like very, very deep quality sleep in order to have mm-hmm. enough energy for a day. So like for me, I've gotten my sleep pattern to get right into deep sleep the second I fall asleep. Like normally there's mm-hmm. like this deep, 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 deep wave mm-hmm. that, you know, it takes kind time of light to sleep, sleep a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't have a light sleep. It's kind of weird. They say that working out though helps you get into a deeper sleep because it literally makes your body more tired after you work out. So everybody out there, uh, start working out consistently. Um, another thing, just a quick question. You say that you take cold showers every once in a while. Um, do you cold plunge ever? I started cold plunging this summer a little bit. I don't have access to it anymore and I do feel a difference. Like, uh, I did, I do hear a lot of benefits. So I'm assuming, um, cold showers, do you cold plunge? If I had a cold plunge, I'd use a cold plunge, but it's all. Oh, okay. There's not a, would you, okay. Wish. Yeah, yeah. And did you have that, this Princeton football? Typically not in the mornings. Fortunately, really? 
Princeton normally had us. Yeah, we were actually worked out in the afternoon at Princeton. It was a split between offense and defense. So like some Mondays, it was week to week. So like it would either be at 4.45 or 6 o'clock you would lift. And the school intentionally blocked away classes from 4.30 to 7.30. So all mm-hmm. athletes had a period to lift and exercise and practice. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a little bit different. But we didn't have cold plunges in the morning. I n- never had access mm-hmm. in the mornings because we just typically didn't yeah. run in the mornings, except if it was Wednesdays. Wednesdays mm-hmm. were the only days. Yeah, because they say it's just it's the best for recovery. Um, another thing, apparently, about cold plunging, if you do more than seven minutes a week, uh, it starts changing your white fats into brown fats. And I think there's there's some type of science to it that I don't want to talk too much about because I don't know. Do you know anything about anything about that, um, Luke? Yeah, I know that cold water increases your natural testosterone levels, and it has a lot of positive health benefits. That's one of the first purchases I'd like to make at yeah. some point in the next month. My my apartment can't hold a cold plunge for me. I mean, we mm-hmm. have a patio, but the patio has furniture on it, and it's kind of mm-hmm. hard to fill up the water and then get it to cool. I know there's things mm-hmm. like a polar pot out there that are like you instantly plug in and it gets cold, but that's not mm-hmm. something I'm right now able to get. But at some point in the near future, I'd like to have a cold plunge. And and actually, just one more question I'd like to ask you: What's something in like the last couple of months that has that you've purchased that's probably less than a hundred bucks that significantly impacted or changed your life? This journal, I got it in green. Okay, well, wow. because green means go, and the color triggered the habit for me. So, green is why I start writing. Green means go. You write in your journal in the morning and at night. I structure it so it's like you, you know. You have things that you like throughout the day, things that you didn't like throughout the day, and you write how you felt at the end of the day. And then I have a checklist that I make every night of all the things I want to change or do differently. So mm-hmm. that way I reinforce positive habits. Wow. That changed my perspective this day. I love it. I love it. Well, with that being said, I, I think that's a fantastic thing that all I'm actually going to start journaling for this, just talking with you that's motivating me to, to go out there and start journaling just because I do hear a lot about the benefits so yeah i really want to thank you luke for being a guest is there anything else that you'd like to share um just to our listeners yes yes actually um if you are a pre-seepu series a founder looking to get some help on sales and marketing techniques product market fit or looking to raise i'd be more than happy to help you out with your strategy uh, this is my day job um looking for mainly tech companies bed tech companies are my favorite to work with if you have any interest in starting a conversation with me, I'd be more than happy to help you out as you continue to grow. Amazing. Thank you so much, Luke. We will make sure that all of the links are in the uh, description uh, and you guys have access to all that. So um, thank you so much for your time, Luke, and uh, cheers. Cheers, brother.